Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to a new season of Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Rebecca, one of your hosts today. And I'm Rihanna. Hi, everyone. And I'm Melissa, ready to dive in and share these stories with you. And I'm Tiffany, a new host to Life Out Loud, and so excited to hear this story. You know me already. I'm Riley. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of the fourth season, funnily enough, entitled The Final Straw. And I'm Karen. Yes, today we're going to dive into two stories written by authors who experienced so much before they had had it. These stories make us wonder what it takes for us to save ourselves. So let's get into it. This piece is by a returning author to Life Out Loud, Daniela Providence. Daniela K. Providence is a senior at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, majoring in Criminal Justice BA and minoring in Creative Writing. She hopes to one day become a New York Supreme Court Justice as well as a creative fiction writer. Born in Toronto in a West Indian household, Daniela loves food, sports, music, and family. She is the oldest of five kids and the only girl. When she isn't writing her up-and-coming Mafia trilogy, Daniela is singing, playing piano, doing homework, or falling asleep while trying to catch up on Glee on Netflix. Thank you, Riley. Let's take a listen to Daniela's piece. <sighs> Kindergarten. Four years old. It's your first day at St. Michael's Catholic School. Who does your hair? Elizabeth asks. Mommy does. You respond proudly. Can you do mine too? You watch Elizabeth tug on Mommy's arm. Mommy laughs as she takes both of your four-year-old hands to cross the street. This is the beginning of you and Elizabeth's best friendship. You two do everything together. You both go to your house after school every day since it's only three short Brooklyn blocks away. You show Elizabeth your new bike and teach her how to ride it like Daddy shows you. You and Elizabeth also celebrate Halloween together. One year, you're dressed as Minnie Mouse and she's Mickey. Mommy takes you both trick-or-treating. You get nominated the most advanced reader in your kindergarten class, even though you're younger than 99% of the class by several months. Elizabeth is so happy for you, she talks about it for weeks. Can you teach me how to read like that? She asks you. Sure, you agree excitedly. <sighs> Second grade, seven years old. Three years later, you move away from East New York to Brownsville. Second grade is starting, but mommy is sick, so you start losing focus in your schoolwork. She has something called cancer, and now she's in the hospital most of the time. Seconds before she's gone, she squeezes you and your little brother's hand gently, one last time. You eventually go back to school, but it's not the same. The school's church dedicates mass for mommy on one Tuesday, but that's it. When you wait in the schoolyard to get picked up, you see the other mommies, but remember, yours won't be there anymore. Elizabeth and her mommy take you home a few times, but then Daddy teaches you how to take the city bus home. Elizabeth waits at the bus stop with you every day. You start to suck your thumb in class. It helps you think, stops you from crying all the time about mommy, and keeps the daydreams away. That's nasty. Stop sucking your finger, you big baby. One girl named Amanda tells you in disgust. 
You pull your thumb out. Ew, now you have germs. Danny has germs, everyone. She yells out, causing the spotlight to land on you. Forty-eight eyeballs gravitate towards you. Some laugh and others continue to say you have germs. You try to hide the tears from forming in your eyes, but one betrays you and the girl sees it. She's crying. She is a big baby. Amanda laughs. You look for Elizabeth, but... What? She's... hiding her face. But... why? Maybe she's crying too? Maybe she's sad with you. Third grade, eight years old. Grandma lives with you now. Your stepmom and daddy needs help with you and your four little brothers. Grandma irons your uniform, but accidentally burns one of your skirts. There's no time to iron the other one, so you wear brown corduroy pants today and walk with a note for your teacher. You're not allowed to wear regular clothes, but the note explains that it's a one-time excuse. You sit in your desk and wait. At lunch, you sit at the end of the table as usual. Elizabeth sits across from you, but isn't as animated as usual. One of the girls in class comes up to you. Her name is Emily. You look like you have on poop pants, she says loudly. No, I don't. But the lunchroom is at full capacity of students excited about tater tots. Yes, you do. Watch. Stand up. She doesn't give you a chance to stand as she pulls you out of your seat, making you hit your knee against the table. Hard. Now everyone is watching. Look, it's the same color as poop. She laughs so loud, you're sure the priest could hear it in church. The table bursts out laughing as your cheeks are already moist. Your wrist hurts in Emily's grip. She has it twisted in a weird direction from when she grabbed you. Let go, please, you ask. The waterworks are in full gear by now. Emily can't hear you over the laughter. She finally lets go. You look at Elizabeth. She doesn't meet your eyes. <sighs> Fifth grade, nine or ten years old. Your birthday is this weekend. Daddy says you can invite people over and he'll buy pizza and stuff. You can't wait to tell Elizabeth. She says she'll come. She says she has to wait for her cousin Lisa since she'll soon be attending school with us. I'll ask Amanda and the other girls if they want to come too, she suggests. But Amanda doesn't like me, you say in return. Yes, she does. She said she's just playing around with you, Elizabeth says confidently. You don't know what to say, so Elizabeth takes that as a yes. Lisa and Elizabeth have been hanging out with Amanda often, so maybe she's telling the truth. It's my birthday, so they probably won't be mean this time, you think to yourself. Suddenly, you're excited. Maybe the kids in class will finally accept you. You think about what kind of music everyone will like. Daddy says no rap music, but you're sure you can persuade him to budge just a little. The clean versions aren't so bad. Sorta. Saturday comes, and you wait. The pizza is ready. You fix the plates every time you feel a slight breeze from the window, even though it's not strong enough to move plates. You sure you gave your friends the right address? Grandma asks. But she knows it was right because she helped me make the invitations. You aren't worried, though. Growing up in a West Indian household, you learn that when you say an event starts at one time, expect people to start showing up two hours later, at best. But then it's been a while, maybe longer than that, and only one girl has showed, Jimmy. She isn't really friends with anyone in class. When she goes home, your brothers finish the pizza and your cake. You don't have any. You're not hungry. Instead, you go to bed and cry. 
you don't even notice when you fall asleep. <sighs> the next day at school, Elizabeth is hanging out with Amanda. The entire class is talking about some party Elizabeth and her cousin had on Saturday. You put one and two together. What party? You ask Jimmy. Some party for Lisa or something. I went to yours because my mom knows your dad or something. But Elizabeth invited everyone, she says. Except you, you think, on the same day as your birthday party. In the afternoon, you wait at the bus stop as usual. You see Elizabeth. She walks right past you. <sighs> Sixth grade, 11 years old. You have found your soulmate, Johan. He goes to your other church and sometimes says hi. If he's not in a rush, he even hugs you. He's new to America and his family is from Guyana. He has a sister who is younger than you, but is still pretty cool. Johan has really soft black hair and light freckles he hates, but you tell him you like them. He blushes and says he likes your braids. Now it's your turn to blush. You both hang out a bit. You know almost everything about each other but you don't mention the mean girls in class. It almost doesn't matter now that he's here. He seems to like you. Elizabeth notices and starts to hang out with the both of you. She sits between you and Johan at lunch. She waits with you and Johan for the bus. She even goes to church one Sunday with you both. It's like we're friends again. At recess outside, Elizabeth and Lisa start daring girls in the class to kiss certain guys in the class. Most of the guys are into it. Johan and his two friends aren't playing, though but Lisa doesn't care. I dare you to kiss Johan, Lisa tells Elizabeth. Elizabeth looks at you and smiles. Then she heads over to Johan with confidence you could never have. Your chest starts to hurt as you watch her put her arms around Johan's neck and pull him into her face for a kiss. You feel the hole in your heart that mommy left, widen at the sight. Johan doesn't push her away, which hurts you more. You feel the familiar tears start to fall, so you turn around and look away. Suddenly, you feel a hard shove against your back. You don't fall, but you're off balance, so when the next shove happens, you can't save yourself. You hear Elizabeth's <laughs> laugh loud and clear behind you as you go down. The hard concrete and pebbles cut into your hands and leg as your stockings are ripped and the skin on your knee and palms are split open. Blood gushes in rhythm with your tears as the teacher blows the whistle to go inside. You wait for the nurse. Back in class, you have a substitute. She gives the class work that the teacher had left. As you're working through the pain in your hands, you hear whispers. Why doesn't she just take off the stockings? Now she looks like a bum. Lisa whispers, much to the amusement of the girls around her, including Elizabeth. Because she is a bum. Elizabeth laughs. The sub catches her eyes and says, Elizabeth, what are you over there whispering? Please, no, you hope. Elizabeth looks over at you. Oh, God, please, no, not again, you pray. I was saying, Elizabeth says louder than necessary, that Danny looks like a bum. She has a huge hole in her stockings. You look down as everyone looks at you. By now, you're used to it, but the tears still faithfully show up. Everyone laughs, and Elizabeth continues. Look at her, probably living in the streets. Does the rest of your clothes come from the lost and found downstairs? Your body starts to tremble as you sit in silence. What are you supposed to say? It's too cold to take off your stockings completely. But the bandage is visible from where you were hurt a few minutes ago. 
Everyone saw you get pushed. They know why there's a hole. But as Elizabeth continues, you wait for the substitute to say something. You wait for Elizabeth to get kicked out. But then you look up through the blurriness, and the substitute herself starts to laugh. That sends everyone into a frenzy. And then you break. You burst out crying and run out the class. You run and run until you're outside. You try to catch your breath, but it feels like your lungs are on fire. Your chest feels like a whale is sitting on you. You see a truck coming. It's one of the smaller ones with a big white square in the back. You watch it come closer. Four blocks left. Three blocks left. Two. Maybe if you run in the street, the pain will stop. Maybe the noise will stop. Sure, it's a sin to take your own life, but does it count if you have someone take it for you? Would God still be mad? Technically, you wouldn't be doing it to yourself. See? Loophole. And you already have 11 years under your belt. Who wants more years of this? You take one step into the street, then another. The tears have stopped, but the pain in your chest is still there. You go a few feet forward. The truck is a block away. Finally, you found the way out. All the name-calling, lunchroom attacks with food, recess, falls, and scraped skin. After it all, every single day for the last four years, it'll all end. You close your eyes and run forward. You wait for the silence, but instead you hear the horn, the people, the screams, and feel no more pain than before. You open your eyes and see the truck has stopped just an arm's length in front of you, its huge silver mouth glaring at you for getting in its way. Though instead of a joy for a brake pedal saving your life, you're simply disappointed. You know that tomorrow won't get better, but only worse. Eighth grade, 13 years old. The summer before eighth grade, you move to Long Island. Your parents think Brooklyn isn't a healthy place to raise children, so they take you all to the green suburbs of Hempstead Village. You only care about the fact that all the bullying is going to be over. You finally have that peace you've been trying to get. You've left behind all the people that's made you sad or hurt for the last five years. Not a single goodbye was uttered when you walked out of the 10-floored, brown-bricked building and never looked back. You have to finish your last year of middle school in a public school where everyone has their friends and cliques already. The building is small compared to your old Catholic school, and there's no church here. Everyone wears regular clothes instead of a uniform, but your parents make you and your brothers wear a uniform anyway. They say it shows discipline and respect. On the first day of school, you sit alone, as expected. People pointedly stare at your uniform, but don't say anything. But then the whispers start. The familiar feeling of dread starts to creep back as you walk through the hallways. Rumors about the new girl have begun. You know she's from Brooklyn, right? Why does that slut always wear a skirt? I heard she wears a uniform because in juvie, she had to do it there too. I heard she got kicked out of her old school for fighting. It's crazy how they're so far from the truth. But you say nothing. You don't know if you would be able to defend yourself if you tell them the truth. But these people don't know you. You could be anyone you want, and they would have to believe it. (sighs) The next day in gym class, you're in the locker room changing when you hear the coach lock the door, then most likely head to her office. Then a girl approaches you. You believe her name is Tony, but you can't be too sure. 
I heard you used to be some kind of tough chick back in Brooklyn. She says, You don't say anything. You continue to fold up your gym shorts so you could take them home and wash them later. What are you, deaf? She asks loudly. The locker room is silent now, except for little movements made by you. You swallow hard and start to pray in your head that this ends soon. Hey, don't you hear me talking to you? Suddenly, she pushes you hard into your locker. Your face hits and your lip splits. You taste the metallic taste of blood. You find yourself back to a year ago when Elizabeth had done the same thing. You hear the laughs of the kids from your old class. You feel the blood that came out of your knees and you hear the sub laugh when you were called a bum. Tony pushes you again. This time, your back slams into the lockers. Everyone is talking or cheering on, but you take a pause. And remember, you could be anyone you want. So this time, when Tony moves to hit you, you swing your fist forward and connect with her jaw. You watch her fall to the floor, holding her face. But suddenly, she's not just Tony. She's Amanda. Punch. She's Lisa. Punch. She's Emily. Punch. She's Elizabeth. Punch harder. You stop in your attack and stand up. You didn't realize the moment when you lost it, but you feel it in your veins. You feel that energy in your blood wiring you like a battery. Your knuckles are bleeding, but you're okay. You finally stood up for yourself. You didn't allow Tony to ruin Long Island for you like Elizabeth ruined Brooklyn. You look down at Tony. Her face is starting to swell. You walk over to the water fountain and grab some wet paper towels for her. She takes them slowly as everyone watches you. You go and wash your hands. Then you fix your uniform skirt and head out. Tomorrow, things will be different. Tomorrow, things will be better. And so will the days to come. Yes, they will. I love this story. I love such a good story. The thank, you. thank you, Danielle. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for being here. No problem. I love this. This is the greatest thing ever. So before we get into the questions, we just want our listeners to know that this is a phone interview. So the audio might drop or things might sound a little weird. That's completely normal. It's totally fine. So let's get into these questions. Different point of views can lead to different kinds of stories, and you managed to immerse us in a narrative with the second person. Why did you choose, or was there a reason you chose to use the you narrative as opposed to other options? Um, well, I chose the you narrative for different reasons. Um, first off, the third person didn't seem as almost relatable and believable and as serious as it felt with the second person. Mm-hmm. Um, like with second person, the reader can easily immerse themselves into the story and feel like it's them going through the motions of my life. And it basically becomes their life. And they are the ones that are making the decisions that I made. And they're the ones that's going to feel like they have to do something to kind of protect themselves by the end of the story. Um, And first person to me personally was just really hard Mm -hmm. to write because reliving that moment at even to this day is still very painful. Um, like it was just, I was so young going through such horrible things and it's just, it hurts still like to actually have been in that position. And I felt that I was able to get so much more information on paper with the second person. It's like, right. I almost took myself out of it and I was saying it as somebody else so that they can like walk through the motions of everything that happened. and. 
I found it pretty successful. <laughs> I um yeah, yeah. I couldn't I I didn't feel as emotionally stranded or um kind of like tied down. I I felt really like everything could just flow out with second person. Like all the vulnerability was just kind of taken out of the picture in a sense. Whereas in first person, I couldn't even get through the first paragraph. It was just it was really bad. Um but yeah, I think second person to me was the better option to get everyone well, get the story as relatable to everybody as possible. Right, right. That's what a lot of us admired about the piece and, and writing in second person in general uh, allows. A little distance. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it still got us very much involved and immersed into yeah. the story where we felt like this is actually happening to us, which was really, Or like really we felt like we were like there. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Like over your shoulder, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, I just felt better doing that one. So going into more of the nitty gritty bits of the piece, there's a theme of unmet expectations from your supposed best friend, Elizabeth, and even to the substitute teacher that we see throughout the piece. Was there a reason you chose to highlight these instances leading up to the climax? Um... No, not really. Um, the way that the piece is, is structured is like just the chronological order of really intense events that happened leading up to the point of the climax where it's just like you couldn't take it anymore. Um, so like there's obviously a lot of little instances like name calling and things like that, but nothing as just like intense or severe emotionally and like physically what happened that that I decided to highlight um the substitute teacher I will never like that woman for as long as I live um it's I mean things like that I wanted to put in things that is just not only relatable but you as a reader and as like a person emerging yourself as the you of the piece it's kind of like how would you feel if your teacher acted this way or you're raised in a household that's just like, tell the teacher if something's wrong and you do that and the teacher adds to the problem rather than solves the problem. Um, so it's things like that in, in terms of my supposed best friend at the time. It's like, how would you feel um, trying to turn to your best friend to kind of get you through this tough time just to find out that your best friend is a part of this tough time? So it's kind of like, losing all your support at once and um, kind of just feeling this aloneness that leads to the point where it's just like I got fed up. Yeah, we really see like from these instances that you've picked out how there's more going on, but that these were the ones that really, you know, hit home for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like really, really good. Well, not good, but I mean, like you did such a good job to like get us into that moment and to feel a little bit if not all of the pain that you were feeling in those moments thank you it was painful just to write to be honest with you it's just, yeah, I can only imagine. It's just um, like rethinking all of that stuff is just mm-hmm. horrible right um so speaking of the climax and then towards the end of the piece there's a sense of finality and calm even though a fight broke out during the moment were you that clear-headed did things end up better afterwards um what's your definition of better um well I can answer the first one in terms of if I was clear-headed I'm not sure anyone in that moment would be clear-headed yeah 
um true the only thing clear to me in that moment was that i was just done with this and i wasn't about to spend another five years going through the same type of environment and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i felt that in that moment something had to be done and it was just like this unfortunately happened to be the one thing that i can and had to do um it's not that i just picked somebody and was like you come here i'm taking my revenge out on you no it's like this person was a part of a bigger problem a bigger issue than they knew themselves and like the rubber band just broke in that moment so there was the only thing i saw was this has to stop and this is the way to stop it and that's what happened mm-hmm. um in terms of did things end up better better in the sense that it never happened again yes um that was the absolute last day that i felt powerless and i felt like i didn't have control or it was just this sense of relief like i can go to school now and i don't have to worry or look over my shoulder or right. rethink my outfit for the day or just think like oh man, are they going to target me today? Like, it was just a moment of peace almost, mm-hmm. as ironic as that sounds. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't even know how to explain that moment. It was just like, it stopped. But at the same time, it was like, I almost succumbed to their level. Mm-hmm. And I had to take myself out of that kind of mindset because I realized that this wasn't the same thing. I wasn't doing this to this person for no reason or for fun. Like, I was just tired and so in terms of better it it made me feel better that I could go to school safely and just be Mm -hmm. myself and feel confident in myself that I didn't have to deal with that um but I never got into another fight in school Mm -hmm. I just did me I continued living my life I made real best friends um that I can actually count on um I didn't let anyone step over me ever again after that day so better in terms of that yes that's awesome yeah at, at the end of the piece, there's, like, this kind of, like, yeah, I get it, girl. But at the same time, <laughs> it's, like, you're still beating up somebody. So it's, like, get it, I guess. Right. You know, but um, it came across very well. Yeah. Had you just wrote, like, say, a vignette of that moment, we'd be, like, oh, my God. Like, she's just beating up this person. Like, yeah. what the hell? But then how you walked us through everything, you know, mm-hmm. and made us care yeah. for you. That's what ended up making us root for you in the end. And can I just say that I absolutely loved how, like, when you were going at the girl, that you listed off mm-hmm. every person mm-hmm. who we met before, <laughs> saying that it's yeah. not just her, it's this person, it's yeah. that right. person. You were really yeah. able to, like, bring it home in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that part was probably the most important part to me and for me to kind of show my reader that, this isn't an isolated incident. Like, this isn't just, I'm picking on somebody else. This was all tied into everything that's ever happened. It was kind of like that, like I've mentioned before, like that breaking point that you just can't take it anymore. And even in the story with the attempted suicide, like, at that moment, I thought that was it. That was the only way out of this. And then I get another chance to kind of get my way out of this. Mm -hmm. And as horrible as it may have been, obviously, to beat up another student, Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to seem like I just became a bully myself. I was, and the reader, as I said, like, to immense yourself into that, I didn't want the reader to think, oh, wow, this is something I would never do, or this isn't how I would end it, because a lot of the comments that I actually got was just, like, 
I love this part. Like I would do this too. It's like yeah. you build yeah. up this sense of you just want to protect yourself and protect that little girl in that story. Right. And right. at the end, that's what she did. She protected herself. Yeah. Um, and that's what I kind of wanted to show. I kind of wanted it to show as like, you can't help but want this to happen regardless of how bad it is. So what would you like readers to take away from the story? I would like anyone who's read or heard my story to kind of take away that there's always a solution. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not like blatantly in your face, but there's always a way out. And there's definitely so much encouragement to always stand your ground and stand up for yourself. It took me a really long time to figure that out. Um, five years, a long time. But mm-hmm. at some point, it's just... If you find that you can't go to a teacher or go to your best friend or go to your parents and you feel so alone just to know that you're really not. And a lot of people say, like, you're not alone in this struggle. And personally, like speaking of personal experience, you're really not. Because after that one incident, even though that's how I decided personally myself to handle the situation. After that, it was just like this person was looking out for me. This person was looking out for me. And they were like, once they heard it, it's like, I can't believe that that's why that happened like I thought it was for a completely different reason it's like just just try to find a way to open up to someone that you know for a fact that you can trust and just know that there's always a way out there's always another solution there's always something even if it's really small there's just always something and sometimes it's gonna be really hard it was really hard to relive it and that happened many years ago almost 10 years ago so it's like just never feel that you can't regardless of what it is just don't feel like you can't like you can't continue or you can't get out or you can't get help like there's always something all right Danielle and with that we want to say thank you so much for sharing your piece for sharing your thank you this story is by an author who's choosing to remain anonymous trigger warning for the hard-to-hear topics. We want to advise listeners that this is a particularly difficult story to cover and that resources for anyone affected by these topics will be listed after the story plays. Thank you, Melissa. Let's take a listen to anonymous story entitled Warning Signs. All the signs are there. You just ignore them. Imagine you were in your late teens. You were in your first romantic relationship. You are in your junior year going into your senior year of high school. The two of you have planned your class schedules accordingly so that you can see each other during classes Monday through Fridays. He is your best friend. He knows your favorite ice cream flavor is Rocky Road and your favorite color is orange. He walks you to class and buys you your favorite breakfast bagel, poppy seed with sun-dried tomato cream cheese. You always get lost in his eyes. In his eyes, you see an ocean, a wondrous, rippling, crushing force, ever-changing, tranquil, but playful, and all you want to do is dive in and swim. While getting lost in each other's eyes, tell each other everything and spend all your free time together. Not only do you talk to him during the classes you share, you text each other constantly. Everyone you know at school knows that you guys are dating. You're the high school sweethearts. You can't help but be proud of it. So many people wish they had what you two have, and you wish this for them too. Even your teachers know. Talk to each other so much that your teacher separates your seats from one another, but that doesn't stop the two of you. The bond between you guys is unbreakable. You guys are inseparable. Nothing can pull you guys apart. 
not even his father, when he finds you guys walking alongside each other holding hands? His father, enraged, not only to discover that his Muslim son was now dating, but also fuming that of all the girls, his Pakistani son was now dating a Bengali one, had knocked the glasses from his face. Footnote 1. Bangladesh, formerly recognized as East Pakistan, became an independent country on December 16, 1971, after experiencing a history of massive atrocities and ethnic violence. When his father hit him, the lenses had shattered in the frame, and the wind knocked from his lungs, his six-foot-two frame hunched over in pain. But that day, he stayed silent, sacrificing his relationship with his father because you mean so much to him. He loves you like a sin he doesn't mind being punished for. <sighs> Sit down next to him on a bench in Prospect Park. Watch the music video he shares with you, the title track of Ishak Sare. Footnote 2. The title may be loosely translated as Rebel Lovers or Love Crazy, which is a passionate love story between two people, ignited by the hatred from their families. After the music video ends, he brings his arms around you, pulls you close, and says that he'll always keep you safe. He says, I'll never let anyone get between us. I'll never let you go. <sighs> he helps you study. He listens to you, supports you, and gives you motivation when you're down. He buys you chrysanthemums and chocolates from Godiva. The both of you are graduating soon, and eventually it's time to start studying to take the SAT. He asks you when and where you're planning to take the exam. St. Joseph High School in Brooklyn. It's not too far away, you tell him. Where'd you schedule yours, you ask him. Midwood High School, he responds. Early in the morning, on the day the SAT is being administered, he calls you and wishes you luck. He encourages you and tells you to not let your nerves get the best of you. Make sure you get to your test site early so you're not anxious, he says. When you're waiting online to enter the test site, call him to ask about his commute to Midwood and wish him luck. After talking for a few minutes, while inching towards the front of the entrance, you guys hang up. Let me know how it goes. I'll see you later, he chirps eagerly. At the check-in table, they are separating students alphabetically. The staff members assign you a room number based on your last name. Search the hallways to find your designated room. Anxiously turn the doorknob to the classroom. Step into the classroom to find a room full of unfamiliar faces. As you're about to take a seat at the desk, you suddenly see a familiar face. Surprise! It's your boyfriend. He grins at you. Suddenly, you're very confident. It's the sign you needed. You're ready to take on this exam. Head front. You guys are interested in different career paths. You know that life after high school will eventually mean having to go to separate schools. This is when it starts. Pay attention to the signs. He will laugh and suggest that you should apply to an all-girls college, and you'll think that he's just joking. He'll say that he can apply to a college that's 15 minutes away from your apartment. You think that's a great idea. The closer the better, right? Pay attention to the signs. Few months will go by, and your relationship will still seem like it's perfect. People will still say you guys are so lucky to have found each other, how you guys are so lucky that you love and trust each other. This is how it happens. Pay attention to when he asks if you can share the passwords to your social media accounts. He'll then use your password to download your entire Facebook data as the zip file to get a detailed history of all your activity on your Facebook account, 
including copies of all the status updates, posts, messages, photos, videos, and more from the minute you opened your account. Pay attention to when he asks you what's the biggest thing you've ever killed during a game of 21 questions. You're left speechless because it's such an odd question. But you answer, um, either a cockroach or a rat in a trap. He will then share that back in Pakistan, he used to kill chickens with his own hands for fun. Pay attention when you can't tell if he's joking about killing chickens. How he says, it's so easy to snap a neck. How with a simple twist, life's over. Pay attention to when he shares the story of how he cracked open another boy's skull against a school locker during his sophomore year before you had even met him. Pay attention to when he tells you how he got the nickname Sky by getting into a fight with a kid in middle school in which he'd knocked the kid on the floor and stepped on the kid's face, how he shares that all the kid could do was look up and mumble, why is the sky blue? Pay attention to how jealous he gets when a male classmate simply talks to you. Pay attention when he asks that you delete all your male friends from your Facebook friends list. Pay attention to how angry he gets when another male just says hi to you. Abraham, Craig, Ahmad, David, John, not a single one of your guy friends can say hi to you anymore. Pay attention when you start to feel the hell in his hello. <sighs> He's constantly verbally abusing you now. He calls you a slut, a whore, even a prostitute one moment and the next, he's apologizing. I didn't mean it. That's not the real me. I don't know what came over me. It's become a vicious cycle. You tell him how badly he's wounding you, and he knows he's hurting you, but he doesn't stop. Girl, pay attention and leave him. Walk away and never look back. Before it's too late. You just received another message. It's from him. I'm sorry. I'm crazy about you, and I'm obsessed with you. TBH, I couldn't even get over you, even if I had tried, but I'm willing to burn bridges if it helps you mend your wounds, as you might call them. You know, one day you'll see and you'll feel, and when your world comes crumbling down, you'll only have one word, only one word in your mind, one word on your lips, just one word. I swear it's just one, but wait till that day, and you ought to know what every day feels like. Next day. You lied to my face all the time like it was nothing and I found out the lies weren't true one after another and now they just add up day by day? If I do something stupid in the next 48 hours, I'm letting you know ahead of time. I'm going into kill mode, night night, and watch out for the rain. You, you don't even know what he's talking about. What lies? What? He's constantly accusing you of cheating on him, even though you've been faithful. <sighs> You don't need any more signs now. Leave him when he knocks out your male friend, Abraham, in the hallway and nearly gives him a concussion just for talking to you. You're left shocked and speechless that day and you just stare. You don't even want to ask Abraham if he's okay or help him up because you're too scared of what worse could happen if you speak to him and what you'll be accused of for worrying about Abraham's well-being. Swear to yourself that you'll leave him, ignore him, 
You want nothing to do with him ever again. You hear that he has an in-school suspension, so you think you're finally free of his presence. But he won't leave you alone. He tries apologizing to you in person, over the phone, and through Facebook Messenger. He promises that he just lost his anger for the moment. He says that it won't happen again. He says he's changed and that he will make it up to you. I didn't mean it. That's not the real me. I don't know what came over me. I hope you're still not mad or anything. But we could fix whatever it is, okay? I'm sorry, I was being a dick. I just felt like knocking him out, and yeah, I got really jealous. How is this the same person you fell in love with? You feel helpless. This is why you don't tell anyone about how he yells at you. How he yells at you about your last active display on Facebook if you were online and not talking to him. Begin to wonder. If it was so easy for him to lay his hands on Abraham, would he end up doing the same to you? No, he wouldn't. He couldn't. You don't do that to people you love, right? He continues to tell you that he loves you. He's everywhere you have to be in school. He keeps talking to you even if you don't utter a word back. He knows your daily routine. He knows where you live. He knows where you work. There's no place to hide. He's the treadmill that you can't step off of. One day, he will stomp on your foot while you're wearing a pair of open-toe flats with his Timberland boot. Hard. On purpose. You will feel a soul-crushing, crippling pain, unable to even take a step away. When you do take a step, it will feel like you're stepping in shards of glass. <sighs> Another day, he will spit a Snickers bar onto your face leaving you horrified, wiping away a mixture of tears, globs of chocolate, caramel, and saliva from your eyes, nose, and cheeks. Tell him you want to break up. Tell him that it's better that you two stop seeing each other. But he'll refuse. Refuse to let you go. Wish for an end to your misery. Don't tell anyone. <sighs> then one day... His veiny, muscular hands wrap around your throat like a tightened noose. He begins to apply pressure, choking the air out of you, leaving you gasping for dear life, only letting his grip loosen when he sees you start to become unresponsive. You don't go to the police. He continues to falsely accuse you of cheating over and over again. You wonder why he doesn't just let you go if he thinks you're always cheating. The arguments are getting more and more out of control. He ends up elbowing you in the face. Your breath is shortening, stomach churning, throat clenching, brows furring, thoughts racing, hearts throbbing, knees wobbling, palms sweating, mind spinning, hands shaking, lips quivering, mouth drying, eyes burning, and then watering. Touch your face with your palm. Look at the blood on your hand. He's left your bottom lip with a gaping, bloody wound. Look him straight in the eye, expecting him to realize what he's done. To at least say one word, sorry. But he doesn't. He flees. Onlookers on the streets see everything happen. They urge you to call the police. Tell them you'll be okay. Tell them that you don't want to call. A billion thoughts are racing through your head. You're embarrassed. You chose him. 
You fought with your own family to be with him. You went against their wishes. Now what will they say? If you call the police, it means that he's going to have to face the consequences. What will happen to him? You don't want him to get into serious trouble for a momentary loss of his temper. He's not always like this. You're not trying to ruin his life. But besides the police, you can't call anyone because, in his fit, he stormed away with your cell phone. Stand there in disbelief that this is all real life. Your life. The onlookers insist that they can make the call for you. Beg them not to. Say if they really want to help, they can give you a bag of ice. You'll be fine. Take concealer and lipstick, trying your best to hide the bruise from your parents. When they ask why your lip looks different, say you just tripped and fell. Don't tell anyone he's gone berserk. You can't. And I didn't go berserk. That was by accident. I told you I was mad that you flirted with Ahmad. By the way, if you talk to him or say another word to him or he says anything to you, it'll be the worst. Believe it. So I'd suggest block him and delete him from Facebook. You read the message in disbelief. He still hasn't even said sorry for what he did. Blinking away tears, you managed to write back, You didn't have to steal my phone and leave as well. <sighs> you don't even want to go to school. You start having nightmares in the middle of the night. Your mom and dad rush in your room at 3.30 a.m. Apparently, you were screaming at the top of your lungs. The stress from constantly fighting is really affecting you. Your grades are plummeting like the drop on a roller coaster. Start cutting the classes you share with him on purpose. You can't bear the thought of having to face him. But you know if you want your phone back, you'll have to see him soon before your parents start getting suspicious about your phone that you claim you accidentally left in your school locker. Really was missing you and missing the times we'd talk at night in the summers and wanted to talk to you until I could see the sunlight breaking through my windows as dawn cracked up to New York City. That's what I miss. And talking to you all night long. I'm sorry for, I don't know, not being my best to you. I regret so many things. I regret so many choices I made, but yeah. LOL, active eight minutes ago, huh? That's cute. And of course you logged in. I still didn't delete Ahmad. That says a lot. End of story. I know you logged in, so don't even start with another lie. You don't understand what the big deal is if you have Ahmad on your Facebook friends list anyways. It's not like he doesn't have other female friends on his friends list. Matter of fact, he has tons of them. They're always saying hi to him in the hallways or smiling at him. The very things he's constantly on your case about. Where you at? Yo. What's your phone's password? Take that lock shit off. My phone is about to die. I am so getting the mother effing twat on his birthday. Dead man! Dead man can't speak when his mouth is bleeding and there's thick blood on his forehead. That's how the saying goes. Oh my god, what saying is he talking about? <sighs> Tomorrow is March 6, 2014. Tomorrow, it's your 18th birthday. Tomorrow, it is also your friend Ahmad's birthday. Ahmad has always called you his twin, ever since the first day of ninth grade in Mr. Smith's English class, where you discovered you shared the same date of birth during the icebreaker everyone had to participate in. And suddenly, you're terrified that Ahmad 
will wish you happy birthday at school. You decide that you won't even make eye contact with Ahmad. When he wishes you, you will ignore him and pretend not to hear. That sounds like the best solution. Early the next day, your birthday, you're sitting in Miss Harris's AP stats classroom, and in he walks, holding in his arms a bunch of helium balloons and a giant bouquet of flowers. He walks over to you and smiles, a grin spreading from ear to ear. Everyone starts singing you happy birthday, and you just want to shrivel up like a dried prune and die. Oh God, oh God, please just stop. But no one knows what's really going on. Everyone else just means well. They think this is so sweet. They don't know you need help. After class, he waits for you outside the classroom. You ask him to please give you your cell phone back and to just leave you alone. Suddenly, Ahmad walks towards the two of you. He smiles and happily says, Happy birthday! Look straight past him as if you don't even see him. Pretend like you don't even hear him. It's for his safety. It's for your safety. Puzzled, Ahmad walks away. Rhea, say something. Write me a love note. Sing me a song. Write me a poem. Sing me a lullaby. I miss you now more than ever. And what surprise I get? All I had to do was look and sunken ship of everything. Down I go. Why, Rhea? Why? Good night, sweetheart. I never thought it would be this hard to keep treading on. Rhea, you can't do this to me again. Not again, Rhea. Your life is quickly spiraling out of control. Wonder what you ever did to deserve this. You constantly feel hopeless. You're just always so sad. You can't sleep properly because of the nightmares. You stop talking to your friends. The stress is causing you to lose weight. Are you eating properly, your doctor asks? Are you trying to diet? You've been rapidly losing weight. You are now 96 pounds. Your doctor tells you to drink Pediasure, the nutritional protein drink to help kids grow. But you know that Pediasure isn't the cure. <sighs> tell him. You won't tell anyone what happened. Not your friends, not your teacher, nor the police. But it's still not enough for him. His love is toxic. A lethal disease. If he's not happy, he won't let you be either. He completely blames you for the failure of your relationship, never seriously acknowledging all of his own flaws. April 15, 2014, 12.32 a.m. I can't take it this time I punched a guy in the face. God knows what I'm going to do to Lucas or anyone else. My hands are my weapon, and my fist touching another guy's face that I don't like is my drug that I'm addicted to. April 15, 2014, 12.37 a.m. You are a true asshole. Maybe try doing something for a change because the way things are now, especially the Facebook crap and Lucas and all the LO kids and people from other colleges and approaching other guys to talk to them. And shit, I can't take it anymore. If you think you could do that, let's see how fast my Facebook friends rack up and all the messages I get and then see how many people will say hi to me in the hallways or even make a face at me like Lucas does all the times, even though I don't talk to him. Matter of fact, let's see how this break of ours works out and how many guys I'll knock out. Then I just hope I don't get addicted to other things I'm going to try out tonight. Already having a blast, Night Rhea, the notorious, lying, two-faced, fake-ass bitch. 12.46 a.m. Rhea, I know you could see this. 12.48 a.m. It's kind of dark out and I'm still outside. Can you meet me? I'm at JFK Airport. Or come get me. I spent all my money on McDonald's and Subway and cookies. 
I just want to die now. My life is shit. School's ass. Girlfriend lies to me all the time and hates me. 12.49 a.m. Parents are okay, but still want to marry me off. And I hate myself. I deserve death. Yes. Or maybe I deserve a second chance somewhere else where I could start all over again. Eh, whatever. 12.50 a.m. Well, I can't see that clearly anymore, and Bronx sucks for having some crooked long-ass blocks, and the trains take so long to come. But thank God I'm at JFK. 12.51 a.m. The planes look really nice at night. Yay me. K. bye. Fuck life. I'm gonna try to sneak into the casino, lol. Wait, fuck you too for ruining me and making me like this. You did this. 12.53 a.m. From all your pathetic lies and crap you gave me and all those times you flirted with guys, and I know for a fact you fucked up major like from January to December of 2013, you kissed at least one other guy other than you lying shitbag, and I talked to that Jordan kid too who you had sex with fucking lying bitch. Fuck you. Fuck you. Pure shit. You're so full of it. 12.54 a.m. I don't know why I can't let you go. I'm so loved with a shit face of a person who can't even tell me what she did wrong and screams at me for little crap, stupid lying bitch. Fuck yourself. 12.55 a.m. JK, I'm not a JFK. I'm in a car on my way to Rutgers dorms. Fuck yeah. Hasta la vista, fucker. 12.56 a.m. If another girl does something, don't blame me. Oops, this bitch sitting next to me just spilled some juice on my pants. LOL. She's so funny. 12.58 a.m. To be honest, I know a big secret of yours that would ruin you from head to toe, and it's not Jordan. LOL. I should post it on your Tumblr. Gotcha. No doubt. But then again, you can see this anyways. I hope it's not bullying if an email gets sent out to the proper authorities for stuff. 12.59 a.m. If only you stopped lying and told me the actual truth from the beginning. Fuck you, fucker. 1 a.m. Night, two-faced bitch. I'm about to go crazy and maybe do something very stupid, lol, but who gives a fuck? I mean, I just won't tell you like you won't tell me and say I'm lying, right? How could I ever find out, lol? Game over, Rhea. Let me show you how it's played now. 2.31 a.m. Yo. 4.08 a.m. Okay, I'm throwing up and the only thing or person I could think about is you standing beside me. I'm a fucking idiot. Next day, 2.05 p.m. What the fuck? Why were you active an hour ago? And answer me. Call or text. And the next day, 9.03 a.m. Now I know you came on Facebook. What the fuck, Rhea? Say something. 12.21 p.m. Rhea. April 20th, 2014. 12.29 a.m. Rhea. 8.13 a.m. Rhea. 12.54 p.m. Rhea, please. 9.54 p.m. I guess this is it then. April 22nd, 2014, 1.08 p.m. You know what? Why don't you wait for the package at home? Don't worry, everything is coming soon. I mailed it to your house already. Goodbye, slut. I would suggest not falling asleep while being naked next time. April 23rd, 2014, 11.13 a.m. I'm sorry, Rhea. I'm really sorry. I fucked up. April 25th, 
1.11 a.m. Oh my god, I still fucking love and I can't get over you. There, I said it. And I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. April 28th, 2014. 10.34 p.m. Hey, I wanted to ask you about government. Well, okay then, night. <sighs> when you stop answering him, he will start showing up at your workplace. He pretends to be a customer, asking you questions about the merchandise at the store you work at so you're forced to answer him. You can't make a big deal at your workplace. Fake a smile. Ask one of your coworkers to assist him. Don't even go on your lunch break, so he doesn't get a chance to confront you outside. May 4th, 2014, 4.20 p.m. Are you free after work today? Or break in like 20? Rhea, I need to tell you something like right now. It's now or never. 4.41 p.m. Can you just come outside for a few minutes? Rhea, just set aside all the anger, please. Rhea, I'm begging you, please listen to me just this once. 4.42 p.m. I understand you think I'm trash, but let me just explain this thing once. Well, then I guess moving on wasn't that hard, huh? Sorry to have bothered you. May 5th, 2014, 10.41 p.m. Can you just tell me if you moved on? That's all I want to know now. I already gave up on everything else. 11.53 p.m. Rhea. 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 May 6th, 2014, 12.19 a.m. Rhea! Can you please? I know you're online. Like, what the fuck? <sighs> he starts going to your apartment building and waiting for you both outside the building and in the staircase so he can confront you while you're going up or down. Tell him to stop following you. Tell him to leave you alone. He'll disregard you, please. He'll push you towards the wall aggressively. He'll forcefully place his lips against yours, viciously prying your lips open, forcing you to let his tongue invade your mouth. Try to push him off. Only, you have no luck because you're only five foot two with no upper body strength, and he's six foot two and much stronger than you. Give up and just take it like a dead fish. May 6th, 2014, 12.46 a.m. Is it important now that I'm in front of your building? Please, Rhea. Can you come out into your staircase, please? Rhea. Janu, please. Footnote 3. Janu is a term of endearment in multiple South Asian languages used as a pet name to mean my love or dear, derived from the Hindu Urdu word Jan, which literally means life. I'd call your brother, but I don't want him to find out. Please, Janu. Please! I'm going to freaking go crazy if you don't answer even one of my messages. Just say something. Just one thing. Rhea! <sighs> he confronts you every day when no one is around. Outside the classrooms, in the hallways, in the staircase. He will push you against the walls, throw you around like a rag doll. You fall down a flight of stairs. Knees scraped. Stand back up. He says he didn't push you. He says no one will believe you. He just doesn't stop. Things get worse. You stop going to school. Almost entirely. You're barely passing now. You found out you've been absent too many times. You're not graduating. <sighs> One day, you go back to the street corner where he elbowed you in the face. You don't know why you go back there. You just do it for no particular reason. Stand there and take in your surroundings. 
oddly, you feel numb. You just feel empty, lifeless. It's getting late, and soon it's time to head back home. Watch the B and Q trains pull into the New Kirk Plaza train station, and imagine what would happen if you jumped in front of the train. Take a deep breath, knock your eyes shut, and let your mind wander. Instant death. It would all be over. Silence. Tranquility. Finally. Then, a tiny voice in your head tells you, No. Don't do it. Think about your mom and dad. Think about your brother. <sighs> the morning of the AP statistics exam, he sits behind you in the auditorium, a mutual friend, Marcus, seated next to him. They're trying to get your attention, but you stay seated like a stone statue, facing front. So they start trying to pass you folded paper notes. You don't take a single one. He convinces Marcus to help him write a bunch of notes and shower them over your head. All of a sudden, a flurry of folded pieces of paper cascade into your hair and onto your lap like snowflakes. Later that morning, as everyone is exiting the auditorium, he walks behind you and steps on your maxi dress from behind, causing you to trip over and over and over. You tell him to stop, to which he says, What are you? going to do about it. And then he shows you the bagel, the kind with the sun-dried tomato cream cheese. He knows it's still your favorite. He says he bought it for you for the testing break. When you refuse it, he smears it down the side of your face, making sure no one is around to see it. <sighs> After one too many times, on Friday, May 23rd, 2014, you really can't take it anymore. Too hurt, too shattered, you finally crack. Tears streaming down your face. You can't remain mute. You are an erupting geyser. The deans at school will listen. Your guidance counselor will listen. The police will listen. He told you no one would believe you. They all believe you. He told you you sound crazy. You're not crazy. He will be arrested. He will be prohibited from your place of residency. He will be prohibited from your place of employment. He will have to refrain from direct or third-party communications with you. He will have to stay at a distance at the school for the remainder of the school year. He will be charged with charges of assault and battery, menacing and obstruction of the airway. People from school will text you. Your boyfriend is in handcuffs. What happened? And you will text back? Not my boyfriend. We really want to talk about this piece, um, but before we get into it, we want to thank our anonymous author for sharing this powerful story. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please know that there is help available for you. Womankind aids survivors of gender-based violence overcome their trauma and build a path to healing and has various locations in New York. You can find out more on their website, iamwomankind.org. Sanctuary for Families is another great organization with the same mission and can be contacted by calling 800-621-4673 and online at sanctuariesforfamilies.org. 
Both of these organizations also offer aid in a variety of languages. Yeah, and on our resources tab on the Life Out Loud website, we have a list of these and other resources. We're doing things a little bit differently for this story. Because of the sensitive nature, the author could not be in the studio with us today, and we will instead have a sort of roundtable discussion about the story itself. So, what do you all think about how this ended? Like, what are your first impressions coming fresh out of that story? Yes, girl, not your boyfriend. <laughs> not your boyfriend. Yes! Yeah. Ah. Definitely glad it ended that in that kind of mm-hmm. way. Yeah, in that there was finally some sort of resolution. Yeah. And like someone got involved because yeah. it seemed yeah. like yeah. it was just a lot of like bystanders or people that you were even aiding this guy right. in like harming her. Especially since the fact that she was so like so scared to let anyone know about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end, she was she actually did come out and she realized, oh, they do believe me. Like yeah. they are going mm-hmm. to help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm just happy that it got to the end and that it didn't end, you know, when she was contemplating jumping in front of the train right. because, you know, things were just so crazy yeah you know it was it was really just like end it at that moment but you know she kept Mm -hmm. she kept going on so like created a new ending for herself Mm -hmm. and it's it's just so good to see that like people actually listen to her because like in some of the environments that we are today some people are like oh are you sure he did Mm -hmm. that are you Mm -hmm. sure she's Mm -hmm. not just saying this so it's good to like see that like yes there are people who are going to listen to you things can happen and it's good that she came up with like a good ending Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is why exactly this is exactly why people are afraid to tell because people think that if any time passes at all from the time that something starts starts to when you like have the courage to report it we're seeing the time in between right and we're seeing the 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 inner turmoil that she has like especially with um she explains it in this list format and kind of goes through like the steps that allowed for this to happen Mm -hmm. um and allowed for her to kind of stay. Yeah, and I think um, it's so important to understand that why it's so lengthy, and it's mm-hmm. because this is happening to someone that loves that person so right. much. Like, yeah. she really is coming from a place of love, and I think that that's what stops her, too, from yeah. being able to, because many people will read it or will listen to it and think, like, why not sooner, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we have to understand the aspect of love, like what it is to love someone that deeply and get that close to someone, and then had this happen to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and it's, like, set up from the beginning. Like, from the beginning, we see, like, how difficult... She, I feel like she... it You you see that she felt like she owed him something because of the difficulty with the families right. and mm-hmm. how his own father, like, hit him just for being with, with her, yeah. mm-hmm. with who yeah. she is as in general. So she feels like like he put all this effort, and she also as well put in all this effort to kind of go against their families and go against all these things and that they don't want, like, it's almost like she didn't want it to go to waste. She feels like she ke- has to keep going and has to owe him. And there's yeah. also this, like, kind of caveat of this idea that, like, oh, they're the high school sweethearts. Like, everybody knows yeah. them. Everybody sees them together mm-hmm. the whole like, time. They become, it's, like, it's, an image. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can I destroy this image that everyone believes? Yeah, this so is strongly. what everybody else wants yeah. and it's what I have. Yeah. So well, how can I give it up? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And we especially see that at the end. Oh, yeah. Like, we were going through all this. It almost made me so angry. And I, like, was surprised when she said that someone said, your boyfriend was in handcuffs. I was like, boyfriend? When did he act like a boyfriend? Yeah. But it's because we're, we're seeing her side of it. Mm. And the fact that it really was so secretive that no one knew. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you guys think about this list format that she has going on throughout? Like list format in that um, it's kind of like, it's almost like a how-to. We have a similar story on the web, on the Life Out Loud podcast. That's how to ruin your 19th birthday. And it goes towards steps in a more explicit way, like step one, step two. Oh. And goes towards a really like, so disturbing ending. So you mean like how she lists everything and being like the warning sign yeah. kind yeah. of thing. Like like mm-hmm. when, like the 21 questions game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? So I thought that was very, like, it was very very clever in my opinion Mm -hmm. um i really also like the like reflective kind of tone about it like looking back like it seems like through the writing was like this was so obvious why didn't you see it Mm -hmm. but it's like from the beginning how she set it up you could tell that she was still blindsided by you know emotions like everyone Mm -hmm. in the whole freaking world usually is Mm -hmm. yeah so i thought it was very clever to list it out that way before Mm -hmm. like getting into like the really really crazy stuff because mm-hmm. then you could see how it kind of escalated into like it was just little things at first that you yeah. could like kind of just brush off it's mm-hmm. like and you know like just be like oh no mm-hmm. it was nothing like mm-hmm. to just deny it and until it got to the point it was mm-hmm. at. it made it so clear for like us as listeners to like really see and understand like mm-hmm. like you were saying like all these little things that were happening because it was just you know one after the other yeah i think um it aids to um how this kind of stuff happens through a list, uh, you start seeing the different steps and the different signs that there are mm-hmm. uh, progressively as they get worse. So I think that the list format is just, it's it's easier to imagine that mm-hmm. um, as a progress, as a timeline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I thought was really interesting also was the footnotes. Oh yeah, Having yeah. that in there, because I've never really heard that um, listening to, to different stories. So um, even like when I was listening to it, like you, you know, some people may not know um, the reference. So for, to like just drop that in there and then jump back into, you know, the story. I thought that was really genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact that these are kind of things that are co- culturally specific, like um, the, the, the idea of Pakistan and Bangladesh being like the families being from two different places. So those two different places could not intermingle. And then also the reference of the movie. They're very culturally specific. Mm -hmm. And she made it a point that, no, you're going to understand that. I'm not going to change my story to something a little bit more relatable Mm -hmm. to probably a wider audience or anything like that. I'm going to give you exactly my story Mm -hmm. to the T. And here's some tidbits to help understand it better. Yeah. And I think the whole format of the story is actually a very interesting take. Not only just the step-by-step format, but like the point of view that we find it in, that yeah. we're in second-person point of view, mm-hmm. which is uh, mm-hmm. a point of view that I didn't really like before coming to Life Out Loud, but after seeing so many stories with it implemented in a way that mm-hmm. really immerses a person, like, sure, I can't relate to a person com- completely, but at the same time, using that kind of you format really manages to yeah. put somebody in the story. It really drags, it really forces you to mm-hmm. kind of like, face it yeah instead of like it's like i feel like a lot of times when you use the second uh person it really forces you to actually examine this kind of situation Mm -hmm. without letting you really distance yourself too much as the other forms do right right because with if if i think if you're reading this and sometimes with other pieces too when you read it in first person and people who don't relate to it it's kind of just like oh well yeah, this thing happens, but it doesn't. It's not gonna happen to me. It doesn't yeah. happen. Like I it's, wouldn't act like that. You know, uh, well, like I told yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, so then reading it as like you, you, it's like this is a thing. Like 
Like, it could, could very yeah. much happen. And mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm thinking about it now, but like this whole idea of you, you kind of like yeah. sets up this idea of like you can't tell anybody, you shouldn't tell anybody. You put yourself in this situation yeah. where you won't like he, mm, yeah, like yeah. he's going against you. You did this to yourself as it's, opposed to like an eye or a yeah. Shit. It's like mm. the little voice That's in your true. head that always like you did hangs it. on yeah. to your back yeah. like some yeah. annoying oh. monkey. Yeah, there's even that line. Yeah. Yeah right <laughs> yeah it's like yeah when i read that i was like take him down like what are you talking about ruin him destroy not him not your boyfriend. drag him not your boyfriend yeah, yeah i, I love know. that it does two things then it allows um the writer and like the author to be able to distance herself yes. and mm-hmm. analyze oh, yes and so yes. when she does that um i think that she's able to reflect back and be able to to tell the story like really tell it um, and then it also allows us to feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like those two factors. I love it. <laughs> More people should use the second Cut person. More <laughs> <laughs> people should use the second person. Yeah. So, wow, yeah. This piece definitely succeeds in what it's set out to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that is, you know, have people relate and experience every every like day mm-hmm. of yeah. everything that she went through. While also, I'm sure, getting some closer for the closure for mm-hmm. the author themselves yeah yeah definitely Absolutely. made an impact yes mm-hmm. so thank definitely. you anonymous yes thank yeah, you, thank this you. Yes. amazing that concludes our first episode of the fourth season entitled the final straw We are all so excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about. You can always find out more about us at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind-the-scenes action. We'd like to thank everyone who helped make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, our episode writers, our website developers, and everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon and good night!